Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. This episode of Your Partner in Success Radio with host Denise Griffiths is sponsored by the business plan answer man, David L. Brown, helping new entrepreneurs create their business plans using time-tested methods from over 35 years of experience. Connect with him on businessplananswerman.com and tell him I sent you. So welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and this podcast is ranked in the top 2.5% of the most popular podcasts globally, and it's all because of my incredible guests. I am honored and blessed to share time with people who are at the top of their game and who are absolutely willing to help you get to where you want to be in life and in business. These are not people who hold back. Their goal is to share with you the essence of peak performance. And my guest today is Robin Hills, who very kindly mailed his books to me from the UK. I am truly blessed to meet the best people on this show. Robin is the director of EI4Change, a company specializing in educational training, coaching, and personal development, which is focused around emotional intelligence, positive psychology, and neuroscience. He has taught over 250,000 people in 185 countries how to build resilience, increase self-awareness, and understanding of others. And we're going to be discussing emotional intelligence. What is emotional intelligence? How can it be developed and how can you work more effectively with your emotions robin welcome to your partner in success radio it's really good to have you here thank you so much denise i'm absolutely delighted to be here as a guest on your radio show well (laughs) i have to to tell you it's been kind of a rocky start this morning i had ordered a bench for my dog who was killed in, in october and just as you and I were chatting in the green room, somebody started pounding on my door, and the bench is here, and I can't help them unload it. It's 400 pounds, so I had to have a little mini argument with the driver out here. And I, I remember putting you down and saying, I'll be back, I'll be back. I'm so sorry. I don't normally start my show like this, but thank goodness you're patient, and you understood. Well, I was sitting here waiting, watching the timer go down and thinking to myself, if this radio show starts, I'm going to have to use my emotional intelligence and really take control of the situation and apologize to the listeners for the fact that the host wasn't here and kind of hold the fort until you arrived. So thankfully that didn't happen. You arrived about 10 seconds before the radio show was due to start and so you could take over. You know what you're doing. I don't. At this moment, I'm not sure I know anything about what I'm doing, but here we are. You know, stuff happens. It just happens. But, I mean, you're here. And I wanted to thank you for the books. You sent me two of them. One of them, The Authority Guide to Behavior in Business, and the other one is The Authority Guide to Emotional Resilience in Business. And you and I were talking briefly in my, my virtual green room before the pounding on the door started. And... I was I was asking you, or I think I was commenting that a lot of people, the term emotional intelligence seems to be new to a lot of people. We all use it. 
but I don't think we've ever we know what IQ is obviously but intelligence emotional intelligence are you finding that some people just go what's that what are you talking about no that that's right I'm finding as time goes by more and more and more people have heard about emotional intelligence and more and more people are aware of emotional intelligence but it's interesting because you've got these two words, emotional and intelligence, and the two don't necessarily seem to fit together in most people's understanding. But it's very, very simple. It's how can you bring your intelligence to your emotions? As human beings, we have emotions and our emotions drive our behavior. They motivate us. They encourage us to engage appropriately in the situation we find ourselves in and circumstances as they change. So how can we utilize our intelligence in order to make the most of that? And we have the ability to be able to work with our emotions, which is the essence of what makes us human. Well, I'm thinking that once people identify that they're actually using it and can use it better, things in their life and in their business just gets better. I know when I finally recognized that I was using a lot of emotional intelligence, because I'm a logical, linear thinker, and I like to think that I do things, you know, very logically. I don't. I mean, I listen to my gut. You know, I listen to my instincts. I listen to other people. And I'm finding that the more in tune I get with my emotional intelligence, the less I rely on my IQ, which is considerable. I'm, I'm proud of it. <laughs> yeah. But it gets me in trouble if I'm not marrying the two together, so to speak. No, that, that's right. I think, um, unfortunately, a lot of us are not as familiar with our basic biology as we should be. And most people kind of gave it up at school and didn't give it a second thought. But fundamentally, it is a part of who we are. And understanding how our body works will help in terms of understanding how our business works. You know, you've mentioned using your gut, Denise. Well, we have three brains in our body. The big one in our head that everybody's familiar with. But we also have a neural network around the heart, and it's the neural network around the heart which helps us to work with and to assess and to be more effective with our emotions. So it's how do we emotionally engage with the situation that we find ourselves in? And then we have this third gut, um, third brain, which is around the gut, and this gives us this instinct and the gut brain is not very sophisticated but more messages are sent from the gut to the brain than the other way round and ultimately the gut is saying yes or no to certain situations so what we should do is listen to our gut is this a yes or a no how do I feel about it which is where the heart brain comes in and then, what do I think about it logically? Now, that's the process that we should go through when we're making decisions. But more often than not, people think, oh, I'm a rational, logical thinker, and I've got very high IQ, and emotions don't come into it, and I don't tend to go with my gut because 
you know, that's not logical. Well, kind of reverse it and think in a slightly different way and you'll get better decisions, better quality decisions. Well, and a lot of us are taught to really kind of squash the emotional intelligence. As a child, you know, I lived in a family with a father who was very, very high IQ. He couldn't fight his way out of a paper sack. He actually was quite stupid most days. He made incredibly wrong decisions. But he was very a very proud man, but he wasn't he had no emotional intelligence that I was ever able to discover. And we were taught that we weren't to cry, we weren't to make noise, we weren't to do this, we weren't to, we were supposed to be quiet. With somebody like me, that didn't sit well. <laughs> it didn't. But it took me a while to understand that what I was being taught or shown was just dead wrong for me. Now what it does for other people, I don't know. But I knew it didn't work well for me, so I started changing that. Well, it doesn't work for other people as well. So uh, we're in a, a, a world now where it's becoming increasingly recognized that emotions are very important to us, both in terms of decision making, but also in building up relationships. But that doesn't mean to say that we should cry at every opportunity, stamp our foot, get angry, uh, run away from situations that we find fearful. No, what, what we should do is to recognize the message that our emotions are telling us and make appropriate decisions around that. Now, it's very easy for me to sit here and talk to you and say, oh, yes, we should look for the meaning in emotions. Well, more often than not, we are doing it through learned behavior and we are making decisions based upon what we know and what we've experienced and what's worked for us previously. Is this appropriate? It's a very good question that we should be asking ourselves. If it is, then carry on, carry on doing it. If it's not and you're having to deal with a lot of fallout from it, then ask yourself questions like, is there a better way? Can I change what I'm doing in order to get better performance out of myself and out of other people? So when people decide that whatever they're doing right now is not working for them, we have an awful lot of garbage going on on social media. People just kind of spout whatever they're thinking, whether they should or shouldn't. And they're showing themselves up a lot of times in a horrible light, but they don't seem to understand that. What's going on with that? No, and, and social media is something that everybody can hide behind and they can actually disperse some of their toxicity in terms of some of the comments that they make. Um, look, I, I'm human like the next person and I will often see something on social media that I think, oh yes, I can have a dig at this person um, or this comment or I can make some kind of witticism around what's being said. Well, fortunately I don't and the reason why I don't is all of my accounts are linked to EI for change. So I've actually got to espouse emotional intelligence. And this is a really good step in the process because it actually stops me from doing something that, in a way, 
feels good by doing it. But the very fact that I, I won't do it because of these safety mechanisms in place means that I walk away from a, a circumstance. It allows me to think through what I'm thinking and why I'm thinking that way and why I'm emotionally responding and construct a much more appropriate dare I say, emotionally intelligent response so that when I'm actually engaging with people on a one-to-one -one basis in the real world, I'm actually able to put my points across a lot more efficiently and a lot more effectively rather than resorting to swear words or toxicity or, or uh, various other witticisms and sarcasm that put the other person down, which is not an emotionally intelligent approach. No, it's not. In one of your books, and I'll have to find the sticky note, uh, you were talking about persuasion. I think you had quoted Abraham Lincoln. And what you said just now is important. When you're getting nasty on you know, Facebook or LinkedIn, and of course the word Karen now is short. If nobody wants to be called a Karen or be identified as a Karen, it's just a comment these days. But the thing is, if you have put yourself out to be that person, how do you fix that? I mean, how do you sit yourself down and say, I'm always hysterical. I'm always banging on people's windows and telling them to move their darn car. I mean, you see some of the darndest things when you're out and about. And I wonder what in the heck are we as a cluster of humans just devolving? What is going on? Uh, no, I'm a lot more optimistic. I think as a cluster of humans, we're actually uh, evolving and we are being a lot more optimistic and there's a lot of kindness out there. We've just got to go and look for it. And unfortunately, what we get within the media and within most situations uh, politically is we're not seeing the best things coming through. And the state of the world doesn't really espouse great emotional intelligence. Uh, there is not a lot that I can do about the situation in the U Ukraine at the moment. I don't like it like any other person. And what I can do is I can be a lot kinder and a lot nicer and a lot more tolerant to the people around me. That's what I'm in control of. And by so doing, hopefully the, the ripples will spread and the waves will get larger and larger as they go through. And I've got to believe that because if I didn't believe it, then we just end up saying to ourselves, well, what's the point? But the point is what we should be doing is to touch the people that we are very much engaged with in a first sphere or a second sphere or even in a third sphere because that's where we've got the influence. And that makes sense. Robin, how did you, I mean, this is your work, how did you start? What... What prompted you to look into emotional intelligence and say, well, you know, I'm a very smart man, but there's better ways to do things. What, what got you going? Well, I was working on the commercial side in the pharmaceutical industry when I started my career. I was selling to doctors in North London and East London and then my career developed to selling into the London teaching hospitals so the people that I was selling to are 
supposedly some of the brightest people in the whole country. They are very good academically and intellectually. And what they know about medicine leaves me standing. What they know about the human body leaves me standing. But what I was finding is that engaging with these people just didn't seem to make sense. Here we had very, very academic, high IQ people. And the majority of the people that I was engaging with were not high IQ or they just did not seem to have the intelligence that I was expecting. Now, at the time, it was in the 80s and the early 90s, so emotional intelligence wasn't known about. And when Daniel Goldman published his books in the mid-90s, I read a review in one of the papers, and uh, they'd reviewed the book, and I thought, this is the answer that I've been looking for. So I got his books and I read them, which are not easy books to read because of Daniel's construction of of the English language. But I persevered. And I learned through that that really emotional intelligence is the difference that makes the difference. So following on from that, I actually studied and researched and looked and worked more and investigated more around human behavior so that when the opportunity came for me to start up my own business 15 years ago, um, I thought what I'm going to concentrate on is emotional intelligence. EI for Change was born of that. And since then, EI for Change has just grown and developed and got bigger and better. Well, it's certainly time. I mean, once I discovered the difference between emotional intelligence and, you know, regular intelligence, I was shocked. I knew it. And here's the thing, Robin. I knew it was there. I just wasn't paying proper attention. I was always aware that I was making decisions based probably more on emotional common sense, if that sounds about right. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. But, but I you know, would stop myself every once in a while and say, well, that doesn't really make sense logistically. That doesn't really make sense. And I would have little mini arguments with me. I was like an attorney in my own body. I was standing on the fence and fighting both sides. That doesn't work well. But I finally started leaning more towards emotional intelligence because that's where I'm a lot more comfortable. And it's done me well. I mean, I've done very well with it. Yeah, I make boo-boos. You know, sometimes your gut is not the right way to go. Maybe it was the wrong time. But I'm a lot more comfortable over there than I am just strictly, you know, going with logic and linear thinking. Most definitely. And in fact, it was a manager of mine many, many years ago who said um, uh, emotional intelligence really is all about common sense. And, oh, then good. Said, and then he said, See, and then I he said well, um, unfortunately, sense is not all that common. And uh, he's absolutely right. So uh, really, if we are looking at emotional intelligence, it's how do you apply common sense in your decision making and in your relationships with other people. I think the key there is to take the ego out of it and to 
add your own level of self-awareness into the equation and to say, how can I make the best decision for the person that I am engaged with? How can I get them to leave our interaction better because of the fact that I've had a conversation with them rather than the fact that I've just had a conversation with them? And one of the things... One of the things I would like to say here, um, Denise, it's posed the question, am I emotionally intelligent? Well, if I answer yes, it's rather arrogant, it's rather self-conceited, and it suggests that there's no room for improvement. But if I answer no, why do I work in the field of emotional intelligence? It depends. There are certain times when I'll go into an interaction with somebody and I'll come out and think, yes, I use my emotional intelligence well. And there'll be other times when I'll go into a similar situation and I'll completely screw up. And that's down to the fact that I'm human. It's work in progress. Uh, so I'm continually learning continually developing, continually getting things wrong and not letting that worry me, but looking at that as an opportunity to say, okay, how can I better myself? How can I stop myself from doing that again? Exactly. You know what I'm hearing from you? You ask yourself a lot of questions. These are questions that we should be answering ourselves you know, either immediately after an interaction or at some point during the day when we kind of settle down and say, okay, what did I do today? How was I helpful? Where did I really just maybe fall down on my face? But we do have questions that we need to ask ourselves, don't we? do, and uh, many people within the business environment, and I would encourage them to, to go down this route. They have a professional coach, and the professional coach is the person to ask them the really awkward simple question that they don't want to be asked well i have a coach but i you know i i really want to make that person redundant because why should i pay them to ask me stupid questions because i should be asking those stupid questions of myself what is the hang-up why why do we get so uncomfortable? And trust me, when I say uncomfortable, I'm clutching my stomach right now just thinking of some of the questions that that I need to ask. But I am. My, my hand is on my stomach. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, we, we asked, we're supposed to ask ourselves these questions. And we go, you know what? I'm going to go cook something. I'm, I'm not going to do this right now. And we always find a way out of it, or we often find a way out of it. I think a lot of it is driven by our ego and driven by our own self-perception. We we want to see ourselves as being absolutely perfect and the world around us as being imperfect. We'll just switch it and just uh, say, okay, the world's not perfect, but also I'm not perfect within the world. So what is it that I can do to improve and work towards mastery you're never going to get to an end point it's like it's like learning to play a musical instrument you can only get better but you can only get better by practice and like a musical instrument you have to make the mistakes you have to get feedback you have to actually swallow your pride and say yeah okay i didn't do that particularly well but 
look at what it is that you have done well, because the mistakes that I make these days are nowhere near as bad as the mistakes I made 10 years ago. And that's because I, I've learned through them. If I can use a metaphor here, Denise, that I would like to share with you and your listeners, and it works for me. I'm playing a computer game, and the computer game is the game of life. And as I progress through this computer game, I'm amassing a little bit of treasure here, a little bit of power here. I'm building up a sword. I'm building a house. I, I'm, I'm getting some food, I'm getting some other resources, and I move up to the next level. And so I have some further challenges to deal with. So I use my sword, I, I get some more coins, I get a magic potion, and I move up to the next level. And this is like the game of life. You're never going to go back down to level one. But what level are you at? Okay, I might be at level 35, but there are going to be certain people out there at level 64. What can I learn from them? And there are going to be people who are at level 12. How can I help them? And uh, all the time, it might be that the person at level 12 has found a piece of secret treasure that I never knew existed when I was at that level. What can I learn from that person? So uh, look at it as being a computer game. It's not like a game of snakes and ladders where you get to the top of the, uh, the last row and suddenly you hit a snake and you go all the way back down to the beginning of the game. You learn, you grow, you develop, you become better because of the problems that you've had to deal with and the issues that you've worked through. And you know what I'm hearing from that? Arrogance can kill us emotionally, I, I, physically. I arrogance is about the worst yeah. thing that you can do to yourself. Get over it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, you know, there are times when I feel that I can be incredibly arrogant at times, and I, it's a perception. I don't intend to be, uh, but that's maybe how other people see me so if they're giving me that feedback or if I pick up on that and it's not being said then look at changing it that bothers me and I see this a lot more or maybe I'm just noticing it more but people will be on on social media or in the grocery store wherever they are oh life is not fair Thankfully, I'm speechless anytime <laughs> I see that because they don't want to know what I think. They really don't. I don't want to say what I think. No, life is not fair. Nothing is fair. It's what you make of it. No, that's right. And, uh, you know, we are not going to know when our time's up. So all we've got to do is to make the most of the time that we've got and to look at what it is that we can do to leave behind something that people will find of value. Well, and when you mentioned level 12, you know, somebody at level 12 may have found purely by accident or just because that's the way they think something that's really brilliant. doesn't matter they're at the level 12. They were able to share that with you. And I think emotional intelligence, if I'm understanding correctly, is the, the ability to share with other people without pounding your, you know, use persuasion or just offer information, but 
be helpful. I think in life we're supposed to, look, I'm an introvert. I am a card-carrying, highly committed introvert. Doesn't mean that I'm shy. I'm not. In fact, I'm not. No, no. I don't. I don't have any filters to be honest. <laughs> but people wear me out. You know, I just don't do well around people for more than about fifty-nine or three-quarter minutes, and then I have to go home and kind of regroup. I like people just fine for fifty-nine or three-quarter minutes. But the thing is. Once you understand who you are and how you operate in the world, you can find ways to help. I did it with this podcast. You're never going to see pictures of me. You're never going to see me on TV. I like my privacy, but I get to meet people like you from all over the world. This is an international podcast, and you get to share your your business points and you know everything that you've got going with a very large audience. That's where I show up. Yeah, and uh, one of the basic components of emotional intelligence is this self-awareness. So if we start looking at princes and personality, then one of the um, most easy to understand yet most easily misunderstood is the extroversion-introversion scale. And you've rightly defined what an introvert is all about or what an introversion preference is all about. It's knowing that you get your energy from quiet reflection and contemplation. Now, extroverts are not necessarily gregarious and uh, loud and fun-loving, and they like to go out and meet people. Yes, they engage better with people because that's where they get their energy from. Their energy flows from having discussions with people, from bouncing ideas off people, from testing their thoughts. Whereas to somebody with an introversion preference, that's going to completely tire them out. So if we then start looking at all the other dimensions of personality, there's a fascinating journey to be had of self-exploration. So what is your conscientiousness like? What is your agreeableness like? What is your openness like? What is your level of neuroticism? Because all of these blend together to create the person, the unique person that is you. Uh, so this is not about emotional intelligence per se. It's about self-awareness and understanding yourself, understanding your strengths, your qualities, your uniqueness, what makes you different, what makes you stand out from other people, what are your talents. So when I'm working with people, when I'm coaching with people, I'm not interested in weaknesses. I'm not interested in what they can't do. I'm interested in the things that they can do, what makes them different. And ideally, if we can identify something that they can do that I can't, so much the better. You know, I'm one of those people, I don't use the word can't. I use the word won't and don't. You know, for instance, I don't swim. Why? Because I almost drowned when I was a child. But I never say I can't swim. I just say I won't swim. I don't like the word yep. can't. Yep. I, well, I, when well, I was a very small boy, uh, I, I broke my leg. And I was um, 
I was in hospital. I was six at the time. I got run over by a post office van. It was my own oh, fault. My own fault. Oh, I, oh, I, 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 I was, I, in, I hospital, was in hospital in bed for a two-month period. I couldn't walk. My leg was in plaster. It was healing itself. And a nurse came along to me in the middle of the night, and I had some discussion with her. And she left me very, very, very confused because she said to me, there is no such word as the word can't. Now, obviously, I'd use that in the conversation that I'd had with right. her. Right. Um, and I, I just wasn't old enough, mature enough to be able to understand what she was telling me. And it was very, very, very confusing to me as a six-year-old boy. There's this word can't, and it doesn't exist, but it's in my storybooks. My mummy has used it. My teachers have used it. The word can't exists. So why is this nurse telling me that there's no such word as can't? She was absolutely right, but it was the wrong time for me to hear it. But you heard it later at some point. When did it finally dawn on you that, ah, I had something similar happen to me. I was young. I was, you know, probably in my very early 20s. And I, sales people bothered me. Just don't try to sell me anything. And I remember being, I think it was in a feed store, and I was just talking, chatting away with some people. And this tiny little farmer in his overalls walked up to me, and he said, Honey, he said, I just want you to, so I've been listening to you, and I just want you to know you are the best natural salesperson I've ever met. I wanted to slug him. <laughs> I didn't, but I remember giving him my shocked face, like, what? It took me years to figure out that he was right. Yeah. I, to go back to your original question, when did I realize? I don't know, Denise. I know it's a, a long time ago either. since I was six. I don't but, either, um, but I think about that man all the time. I wish I could apologize to him because he was dead on right. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, I, I, absolutely. And I think what we've got to do as individuals is to look at where our prejudices lie and and I'm utilizing that word not in the in the intense meaning of it but um, uh, there is a great level of prejudice that is layered at salespeople and selling and selling is a very very natural process and uh, I think people have got to become a lot more comfortable with this word selling and sales because selling is not flog it high and sell it cheap and here you want this don't you because I'm going to uh, make you buy it um, and it goes back to my time of working with with doctors I was selling to them and here is a group of people that really have a a an emotional reaction a negative emotional reaction to that word but if you think about selling and think about it from an emotional intelligence context, what is selling? You're providing with people, you're providing people with information. You're providing them with new ways of thinking in order that they can make the best decisions for themselves. 
Now you're going to try and influence that decision, but the person that you're selling to is in control of making that decision. They don't have to make the decision just because you're selling to them. The choice sits with them, not with with me as the salesperson. So if we look at selling as a way of influencing and persuading people and encouraging them to make the most appropriate decisions that are right for them, then we can see how emotional intelligence fits in and works. And we can see that sales is a very natural and important process within business and the way in which we engage with people. Oh, watch a three-year-old. Three-year-olds get their own way, and they do it effortlessly. You cannot argue with a three-year-old. They do it brilliantly. So how can we learn to do it with more emotional regulation, and how can we learn to do it with more empathy? Well, I know I stay away from them. I don't want to be around three-year-olds for any reason at all, for a lot of reasons. What I wanted to ask you, and we're talking about emotions, and we're talking about, you know, how do you effectively deal with your emotions or work with them? What emotions are we talking about exactly? What are regularly experienced, and how do they impact your performance at work? Well, it depends upon what academic paper you read, but it been identified that there are between 7,000 and 30,000 different emotions. Now, we're not going to have time in the remaining 20 minutes to cover even a tenth of them, but just recognize that there are so many emotions out there, and emotions are in flux, and they continually change, and they're blending together. And there are certain situations where we have emotions where there's just no word for them in the English language. We've got Schadenfreude, which is a German word, at getting some pleasure from other people's misfortune. Now, that doesn't sound particularly pleasant, but this is the reason why children get so much pleasure from watching the cat being tripped up by the mouse and being hit with a hammer. Uh, That is where this emotion fits in. But to go back to your original question, what emotion should we be concentrating on? Let's just concentrate on the basic emotions. There have been six or seven basic emotions that have been identified. Happiness, sadness, fear, anger, disgust, pride and contempt, if we just concentrate on those emotions and recognize the meaning behind those emotions, it helps us to build up a fuller picture when these emotions blend together so that we get uh, frustration, annoyance, anxiety, we get um, uh, feelings of being scared, we get joy, we get exhilaration, we get pride, we get love, we get shame, we get guilt. So just look at them as being kind of a building block. And to a certain extent, see them as being um, a, a paint box. And you can then take a little bit of this emotion and a little dollop of this emotion and blend them together and see how they work. Now, that's a very 
very, very simplistic way of, of working with it. But it's a start, and it's a good start, and it helps us to come to terms with the various emotions that we're feeling. If somebody makes us angry, why are they making us angry? Take the person out of the situation. Take the um, situation away from your thinking. Think about it objectively. Why is this person making me angry? Because one of my core values is being transgressed. Am I going to right or wrong? Or is it not worth me rising to the bait? And is it worth me managing that emotion and moving on? It's your choice. See, that is brilliant. And while you were talking, I was writing down overwrought emotions lead to knee-jerk reactions. So that's something we need to pay attention to, isn't it? Just calm down, walk away for a little bit, or if necessary, walk away forever. I've done that. Yeah, it's just we have to, if I'm hearing you correctly, we need to really pay attention to how we're feeling, but more importantly, how we're reacting. It's the reaction that people observe. It's the behavior that people observe in us. They don't see the emotion. They don't experience the emotion. What they're experiencing is the way in which we respond to that emotion and the choices that we make around it. But I think it's vitally important here, Denise, just to say this emotional intelligence stuff is not easy. It takes a lifetime to master, and even then, most of us never get to an end point where we think, yeah, I've really learned as much as I possibly can from this. It's hard. It's very, very hard. But it gets easier, and it gets better, and it gets a lot more rewarding the better you become at it. Well, isn't it, I mean, don't you reach a level of awareness when you know that you're about to just, take off and smack somebody verbally or turn around and hit them with your car. We all want to do that, right? I've been known to want to do that. Um, we do. We do. say that on radio. Oh, well, it's too late. But I've learned with, in my life that I can almost tell in my gut when I'm about to boil over and I walk off. I mean, I walk off immediately. I've been known to leave physical conversations, just turn around and leave because I, I have to. You know, I've got barely trigger temper, which I've been working on all of my life. And I don't want to say something that I cannot take back. And words are powerful. And I think that's, again, part of your self-awareness, part of your self-regulation, the way in which you're managing yourself in these kinds of circumstances. It is very, very, very difficult to do it when it would be easier and more rewarding in the present moment to hit somebody with a nice toxic comment, you have to live with the consequences of that. So um, make the choices that you need to make. And look, I, I really have got to share this with your listeners. There are times when somebody says something to me and I can feel the prickles at the back of my neck as I'm starting to get angry. That's the way in which anger manifests itself in me. And uh, I've just got to learn to bite my tongue. I've just got to learn to contain everything 
and to effectively walk away from a situation where at times I can't walk away from it. But how do I manage myself in that moment? And it's hard. It really is hard. If somebody is actually pressing one of my hot buttons, I find it very, very, very difficult not to respond. But again, you know, I know what hot buttons are. So I actually say to people, when I get to know them, look, these are some of the things that are my hot buttons. Um, But it's showing a level ability. And also the downside and the danger to that is if they know what hot buttons are, they can go along and press them. And you will know who knows your hot buttons better than anybody else. It's your partner or your siblings when you were growing up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned your prickles. I, it took me a long time to figure out what physical manifestation, manifestation was mine. And I realized that people would say, Denise, do you know when you are really upset, your eyes turn black? I have very dark brown eyes. But they actually go from brown to black and, and nothing flat. And do you know I can feel that? I can, can actually you? tell when my eyes are changing colors because I started paying attention. And it's almost like a, a little minor ache in, in the back of my left eye in particular. So I guess what, what we're saying here is find out what your your physical reaction is and pay close attention to that and walk off if you have to. Yes, and I think we've got to look at ourselves as individuals. What is it that you're feeling within your body when you're starting to boil over? Uh, We have this expression, certainly in the English language or in England, seeing red. Um, Mm -hmm. It's as if the kind of red mist descends. And in these sort of circumstances, uh, I don't see the red mist. Now, it's either because I don't get that intensely angry or because I have a different reaction. But a lot of people have actually told me that they physically see this redness descend when they get incredibly angry. So what is it that is going on inside your body when the anger starts to well up? Um, Why is it welling up? What is this person doing that is causing, or what is the situation that you're facing that is causing you to feel the way in which you're feeling, the emotion of anger, and how does that manifest itself physiologically within your body? Because ultimately, the um, uh, the body is pairing itself for fight or flight. And again, if you think of it very, very simply that way, Am I choosing to stand my ground and fight or am I actually choosing to get away from this situation and make myself as safe as possible and flight? Uh, Now, in in certain circumstances and at work, we don't have a choice with either. And so what we do tend to do is to bottle these emotions up. And the thing is, if we're continually bottling these emotions up and don't find some kind of natural release for them, it leads to stress and it leads to mental health issues. And physical issues. So many people who are miserable, whether in their, their home life or their business life, and I suspect both because you can't really 
I don't think separate the two. I mean, you're living one life. You're going to find that, I mean, stress is causing heart attacks. It's causing you to age much faster. You know, the the physical reaction to stress is just awful. It is. Your muscles are tensing, so it will lead to back problems. It will lead to headaches and migraines. There's, There's a whole host of physical reactions or physiological reactions that will occur to you bottling up this kind of stress, this this emotional tension, um, because you haven't had the opportunity to express it, get rid of it, to funnel that energy one way or the other. Um, I, I think it's important to dispel a myth here around emotions. There is no such thing as positive and negative emotions. Emotions are emotions. We experience them for a reason. If we're experiencing anger, it's because somebody has transgressed one of our core values. So it's not the anger itself which is negative. It's the way in which we choose to respond to the anger that is negative. Happiness is considered to be a positive emotion, but um, have you tried communicating with somebody who's deliriously happy all the time? You just no, can't get they irritate them. No, they're irritating. Yeah. Yeah. They really are. Oh, yeah, incredibly <laughs> irritating. Because, I'm so glad you, know, you agree because people are probably saying, Denise, that's not nice. Just get around. Don't worry. Be, like don't worry. Be happy. Let's not worry about the sales figures. Oh, they'll take care of themselves. Oh, it doesn't matter that I upset that customer. Yeah, don't worry. I do irritate people because I am happy, but you should learn to be happy. No, it doesn't work. And happiness yeah. comes in short bursts. It's great when we feel happy, but recognize it's going to change very, very quickly. Happiness is is not a positive emotion and it's certainly a completely inappropriate emotion at a funeral or at a solemn occasion so how are you then regulating that that emotion and fear is supposed to be a negative emotion well if it's such a negative emotion, why do we get such joy from going along and watching horror movies or going on a roller coaster ride? Good question. You know what bothers me, and this is just kind of one of my pet bugaboos, but I'll see somebody on social media or hear them you know, in the grocery store where I don't spend a whole lot of time out in the real world. I have most everything delivered. But Somebody says, oh, I'm having a really bad day. And I instantly, and I, I squash the, you know, the instinct and say, no, you're not having a bad day. You might have a bad moment. You might be having a bad hour. But the whole day, get over yourself. <laughs> the very fact that they're alive means that they're actually having a good day. Exactly. It's like you are not looking at this right. And I never say anything about it. You know, I don't commiserate. I don't comment. But... I want to say, you know, that was kind of a overweening argument there. That that doesn't even make sense. Are you listening to yourself? Hmm. And we've just got to recognize that there are going to be good points in the day and there are going to be parts of the day that we would have liked to have gone better. So, oh, yeah. uh, uh, like, I, again, it, it 
goes back to learning through certain circumstances. If I just take the, the basic raw um, component of a bad day and just let's work with it. I, I've heard everything that you've said and I agree with everything that you've said, but a bad day for me today is going to be far better than a bad day that I had when I was in my 20s. It's completely different because I've learned through it, I've grown through it, I'm a lot more mature, I'm having better experiences. So look at where you are and, and how you are in your life and just look at it as all being relative. Yeah, we have times where we are not feeling good and we are feeling unpleasant. Um, but that's not necessarily caused by bad things happening to us. It's caused by things that are happening to us that are different. And it's just not quite what we were wanting them to be. Exactly. Listen, I'm in your book, The Authority Guide to Behavior in Business, and I'm on the chapter about perception. And you have a, a I guess it's a title here, it's a chapter title, the illusion of in- of attention. It says the things you pay attention to create your moment-to-moment perception of reality. Talk about that a bit. Well, this it's absolutely fascinating. Some really good work was done by professional Professor Dan Simons, and he got the Nobel Prize for Psychology in 2011 for it. And um, what he did is he showed people a video clip. Now, many of your listeners will have seen this video clip. And in the video clip, um, people are passing my basketball from one person to another. And you're actually asked to watch the two teams, one's in white and one's in black. And you're asked to to count the number of times the players in white pass the ball. So that's your task. And you watch this little video clip and you're watching as players pass the ball from player to player. And as you're watching this little video clip, somebody in a gorilla suit walks into the middle of the screen. They bang their chest and then walk off. Now, the majority of people who get the answer right are completely confused and completely befuddled when you say to them, did you get, did you spot the gorilla? And that's because we actually are very good at focusing our attention on what is important to us. And often we miss things that are happening in the world about us because we are so focused and so concentrated on the task in hand. So what we've got to learn to do is just to accept that we miss things all the time. And so if somebody very junior or very immature will come along to us and say to us, did you spot the gorilla? The answer is, um, no, I didn't. What have I missed? Thank you for pointing it out to me. But so many people, because of their ego, um, because they've been doing the job for so many years, do not like to share the level of vulnerability that they may have missed something important as if it's going to take something away from them. And that is the illusion of attention. You know, I have seen that clip. I didn't spot a gorilla. I was counting. My first question, though, I have to say was, am I supposed to watch 
the white team, the black team, or all of them. So I literally started counting just the balls, you know, who's passed. I didn't care if they were white or black or purple. I never saw the gorilla. I never, I never saw, saw the, never the gorilla saw either. either. <laughs> See, we're so smart. Yeah, but I saw it. So, you know, I'm... Here are my saying to people, look, here's the illusion of attention. I, I'm not ridiculing people for not seeing the gorilla. I'm actually saying to them, isn't it fascinating how we miss something vitally important, something critical in our world, something so obvious as a man or a woman in a gorilla suit coming into the middle of the sea, banging their chest, looking directly at the camera, and then walking off again. Uh, a lot of people would say, well, if it was that important, I'd have noticed it. Well, you don't. And just accept that that is part of the way in which your brain's wired. And this is why you never take eyewitness statements as gospel. And this is why you, you never you take, take eyewitness statements as Don't believe any of it. <laughs> it's just we all yeah. see what yeah. we're going to see. You know, that's just the way life works. So coaching, I mean, you, you coach a lot of people and you have a coach. How can coaching help us, number one, understand that we may need to work on our emotional intelligence or even what it is? I mean, what do you – when did coaching for this come into play, for starters, but how does it help? Well, I, I think it goes back to what we've been talking about all the way through. It helps with your self-awareness. It helps you to understand what it is that you're doing in terms of engaging with other people. It's giving you feedback. It's giving you the opportunity to reflect. It's giving you the opportunity to ruminate. It's giving you the opportunity to think about what you did that worked well and what it is that you could do better next time around. It's asking you those questions where you're sitting and holding the pit of your stomach to these because you do not want those questions being asked because if you get asked them, you don't want to answer them. Mostly I don't want to answer them. You know, I, that's instantly when I start knee-jerking and I catch it and say, all right, calm down. You know, you've hired this person for a reason or you're asking these questions of yourself for a reason. Take a breath. You know what I do is sound silly, and I say this a lot on my podcast, but whenever my stomach starts hurting like that, it happens a lot during the day if I'm paying attention. I will do what I call an open refrigerator door meditation. I can't, I can't meditate. My 90 seconds. So I will pop up out of this chair. I will walk myself to the kitchen, open those double doors, and stick as much of my body in there as I can. Why? Because when that refrigerator door is open, you aren't thinking a thing. You're blank. It's a mini break. So that's how I operate. And the importance there is uh, take a break. Get away yes. from what it is that's causing you these levels of anxiety. Refresh yourself and see it from a completely different perspective. And that's so important. I know I, I'm quick to anger, or I have been. I'm getting much, much better. And I would knee-jerk something. I've, I'm a web developer, and I would just be having a fit at my desk about something. And I would knee-jerk an email, and then I would send it to a trusted member of my team and say, fix this. And almost invariably, it would come back, don't send it. Okay. But I felt that. I got it off, you know, got it off of my chest. 
Yeah, and that is a useful opportunity for you to have this safety valve, to be able to splurge all these thoughts down on the email so you can then um, reflect on it. Is it appropriate to send it? Put yourself some time between when you finish writing it and when you're going to send it. Look at it 24 hours later and think, mm, is it still saying what I need to say or can I change it? And if you can change it, change it quick. Or do I need to pick up the phone and have a decent conversation? That's, a, you know, that's an option as well. And I have found that having a conversation, no matter how much you might dread it, almost always goes well. It does, because we're actually engaging people with people at a human-to-human -human basic level. Exactly. Robin, it, we are out of time. Remember I told you this was the quickest 60 minutes on the Internet? I wasn't kidding. Do you have anything else you'd like to share with the audience before I let you go? No. If anybody wants to get in touch with me, I'm more than happy to engage and communicate with people. I can be found at B-I-N, like the little bird, Robin, at EI4Change, EI4Change.com. Thank you. Robin, thank you for calling in from the UK. I really appreciate it. And sending me these books. I took a picture of the books with the envelope because I was so proud. I got something that had a custom stamp on it. I'm living <laughs> south coast Louisiana. That doesn't happen around here. So thank you for sending those, and they're on my desk. And it has been wonderful speaking with you. And I thank you for all of the terrific tips and the advice and just the common sense, which we both understand is not you know, all that common, but there it is. And I thank you for everything that you've shared with our audience. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes and honestly anywhere else you consume your business podcast. Truly, you can't throw a stick on the Internet without hitting your partner in Success Radio. So look for us, find us, and take us along on your success journey. Robin, again, thank you so much. It's been brilliant. Thank you, Denise. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.